0: Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Come to you this morning. We're thankful to be in your house. Thankful, Lord, to gather together and have a chance to sing your praise. Lord, we thank you for your word that rings true in our ears. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to dig into that and to to hear your voice through that. Lord, as we walk our way to Easter, to that beautiful morning, may we reflect on the areas of our life that we need to work on. May this be a time for renewal of our faith, a recharging of our walk, a strengthening of our weak areas. Lord, as we look at your word, may it dig into our hearts. We need you more than ever. Open our eyes to see what you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're in Genesis chapter 28. I need to ask you, do I have any Led Zeppelin fans here this morning? Uh, Today's scripture is the original stairway to heaven. Or if you're from the 80s, uh, that was the 70s. No, we're moving to the 80s, Glenn. You were already an adult by then. Some of us were just kids. You may remember the song, Jacob's Ladder. Anybody know who, who sang that? i us see if you're from the 80s or not. Louis. Huey Lewis, thank you, Glenn. I knew Glenn would know that. I, I did not prompt him. I, <laughs> I just know he has a wealth of worthless information. <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> uh, today's passage, um, you may be reminded of. Uh, We are working on a series, we're beginning a series today about uh, the stones of life. And so I'll ask you to uh, focus on the stone in this passage. Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there... He put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth and at the top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, "I am the Lord, the God of I- your father Abraham and your go- the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying." And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head. And he put it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called this place Bethul because though the city used to be called Luz. And Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking I will and give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will give you a tenth. May God add his blessing as we continue to praise his name. That would be our prayer. That you would draw us nearer to you. That you would wrap us in your loving arms. And when the end comes, the victory of calling us home. What an exciting thought. Lord, we're still here, still working, still growing and changing. Open us to be flexible and malleable and and movable, Lord, in our walk with You. Remind us of those areas we need to change. Remind us of those stones in our own life that we've struggled to get rid of, that we've made excuses about why they're there, that we've rationalized Throwing them at others. There are stones in our life. A part of our everyday life. And it reminds us of our humanness. And yet you have called us to be sanctified as believers in Christ. And so Lord, we ask, even now, that you'd open our hearts to begin to change those problems. Those struggles those victories that we would reflect upon you in those, in your name we pray, Amen. You may be seated. Oops, oh, sorry, Sarah. Good morning. I want to start out by saying I appreciate uh, Brently uh, preaching for two weeks. That was extremely helpful, and uh, I appreciated his messages. and um, It's pretty cool to watch uh, and to be a part of uh, God using someone and teaching them and helping them grow. Um, that's cool stuff. Uh, the older I get, the more I realize that that's uh, really why we're here, right? To encourage and challenge and uh, exhort others in the faith to draw others close to God uh, by example. And uh, it's cool to watch. So I, as I said earlier today, we're going to start the series that goes from uh, this week, actually started on Wednesday night, uh, and runs to Easter, uh, Easter morning. And, and we're going to call it the Stones of Our Lives. And there's actually seven installments, so seven weeks, uh, and we're going to talk about stones in Scripture. Does anybody have any clue how many times stones are uh, used in Scripture? A lot, right? A lot. Over 330 uh, references to stones. There's a lot of... You know why? Because they're just regular things, right? They're just something that's a part of our life. Uh, I was thinking about playing catch with Kenny, but I don't think that's probably a good choice. Catch a kid. Stones are a part of our life. Think about this for a moment. Uh, And we're going to talk about how stones are a good part of our life at some points and a bad point, uh, bad parts uh, in other parts, right? Diamonds and other beautiful gems come from stones. People who get stoned are also uh, at the other end of a stone, are they not? This stone in your windshield is going to ruin your day, right? If we polished it and made a beautiful ring, wouldn't that look good? Yeah. (laughs) Stones are a part... Look at the walls. There's stone there. I I believe and I would challenge this uh, thought that stones have killed more people than anything else... uh, to date in history. Think about at the other end of an arrow where they took flints uh, and, and lead comes out of what? It comes out of the ground, out of the stones. And so bullets in some way, shape or form are uh, deadly and kill more people. Your toothpaste has stones in it, albeit not this big, right? <laughs> that would be a bad day. But very fine uh, stones, ground. Uh, in fact, when they first started making toothpaste, I don't know if you know this, they, put the, they didn't put the right grit in there. And guess what happened? It wore, the te- pe- wore people's teeth out. <laughs> and so they've learned over the years, obviously, uh, you got to put the right grit in there that cleans your teeth without taking out your teeth. Stones are a part of our life wherever we look. They're, a, they're the good and the bad. We use them in our driveway so we don't have mud, right? Because in the springtime, and it's coming, if you don't have anything but, uh, if you don't have any stones in your driveway, you're going to have this big soupy mess. And so in some places, they're good. In your garden, not so much. If you're a farmer, you know what happens when you plow the ground every year, right? Right? No matter what you do, and no matter how many times you've pulled rocks out, every year when you plow the ground, there's a new one or a new pile. And I know there's some people here who have been on the rock sled. You know what I'm talking about. When you were a kid, you had to go out and pick rocks. Seems like a ridiculous idea. Who picks rocks? When we did the ball field, there's a rock. Well, it was in Brentley's front yard. I think it's out by the barn now. There's a rock about this big around. And that rock was literally in center field when we plowed that ground. And who knows how long, you know, it, whether it had been working its way up, what, it's been, uh, what it had been doing. But during this time, this, uh, this time headed towards Easter, we're going to talk about stones and the stones in your life. I put this picture up to remind you because I want, to, I want to encourage you. I felt like last year we got cheated in some ways, and I heard a lot of good feedback from people who picked up stones during the beginning of Lent last year, and then we never got to finish the series. Uh, someone actually said this morning they still have that stone on their countertop or on their uh, windowsill, and that reminds them. Someone else told me that they... They had their stone. So in the back next to the cross, there's a, there's a, bu- uh, my wife so generously let me borrow this. It looks pretty snazzy. I wouldn't have picked it because I'm not that classy, but my wife, on the other hand, she's pretty classy. And so she's like, take this over. This will be perfect. And so there's a bucket of stones and those stones are just pawn stones, right? But, and they're not anything special other than their symbols to remind us about those stones in life. They're all different shapes and sizes. There's some bigger, some smaller, some smooth, some jagged. A few of them are a little dirty. Most of them are clean. I washed most of them. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a stone and put it in your pocket. And during these next seven weeks, whatever God is revealing in your life, good, bad, victories that you've had, if, if you have a victory and you hear that in a sermon grab a rock and put it at the cross, because that's the goal, right? The goal is to put the the rocks, the stones at the cross, to lay them at God's feet, and to to remember that God has delivered us from these struggles. And so I don't know if you heard the song this morning, uh, the 10th Avenue North song. The one reason I really like that song is if you watched the chalkboard, you saw all kinds of names and and words. It says lust, it says uh, anger, it says I hate my father, it says all these things that we get stuck and hung up on. And the whole idea of the song is you are more than those choices, those mistakes in your life. And it's my hope as we look at these next seven weeks that you begin to see those stones in your life. There are good ones and there are bad ones. I'm not... This isn't about seven weeks of beating you up. There are some victorious stones in our life. Next week, we're going to talk about the 12 stones. If you, if you didn't see it on the, uh, on the, uh, on the screen, it's Joshua uh, 4, 1 through 11. And it talks about the 12 stones that were set as a, as a monument uh, to remind us. And so we're going to talk about that next week. But each week, we're going to go through different stones that Scripture reminds us of different areas of our life. Today's stone is really not the focus of the scripture, is it? And if you don't know what happens in this passage, let me tell you a little bit about what happens just before this. Got a guy named Jacob, right? And this guy named Jacob, it says in the scripture, um, he gets to the end of the day and he runs out of daylight. And he says he lays his head down to go to sleep on a stone pillow. And if you don't know the passages that's before this, then you don't know what's going on. This is right after, directly after, he had tricked his father Isaac for the birthright. And you know his older brother Esau? Anybody have an older brother? He, he tricked, yeah, Brian Renner has a couple. I got two, of them. two of them, right Brian? Not just one, but two. Yep. And if you trick Sam and take his, uh, his food, you're going to be in trouble, right? It doesn't end well. <laughs> exactly. Perfect illustration. Well, not only did Jacob take his food, he took his birthright, his, his inheritance, what was promised him. And he has to get out of Dodge because mom has helped uh, cause this problem and this trick. And most commentators say he probably didn't take the main road uh, out of town, he probably took the back way, the path. Why? Because uh, there was really no reason Esau wouldn't want to kill him for what he had done. He stole his birthright. What was what was traditionally would have been Esau's was given to Jacob, and we know that this is a big deal because only in a couple of chapters later, chapter thirty-two we see that uh, Jacob and Esau meet again. And when they meet again, Jacob's still afraid of his brother. and So much so that when he has people sent out, they say, Jacob, uh, Esau's on his way. And he's got 400 men with him. And I'm thinking Jacob's probably shaking his shoes. He said, they're headed to you. They're on their way. And I bet Jacob's life is flashing before his eyes at that moment. So much so in in chapter 32, he says that he splits his group in half. He says, all right, this half go forward, and we're going to kind of lag back. And then Jacob's in the back of the back. He's like, well, I hope they kill all the other people before they get to me, right? There's a chance I might survive this if Esau gets tired of killing people before he gets to me. Jacob is running, He's running from his problems. He's running from the consequences of his actions. He's running from the mess he had created. Running from his past. Running from the sorrow and struggle of life. Mind you, he he connived his father. He's pretty much trashed. His family. I know no one here has ever run from the loss or relationships or broken hearts. But Jacob is running for his life. It says he stops when the sun sets, probably because he can't go any further, because he can't see. There's no city lights, there's no way to see where he's going. And so he has to stop, and he's wore out. And what does he find? Oh, look what I found, a pillow. I don't know about you, but the last time I looked, I haven't seen any of these type pillows for sale on TV. My pillow, right? <laughs> it's not gonna go well. He finds the only thing he has. That's all he has. He doesn't have anything. Doesn't have a blanket. he doesn't have anything, he's on the run. This stone is. I don't know about you. When I was getting ready for bed last night, I was thinking about my pillow. And you probably didn't think about your pillow, but maybe tonight you will. You might appreciate. If you want to borrow my stone pillow, you're welcome to it. But when I went to bed last night, I thought, boy, this pillow is extra soft tonight. It's extra nice. It fits right in the crook of my neck. Oh, and it helps me. And I'm a hugger, so I hug my pillow, you know. Oh, I love you, pillow. Can we see that again? Oh, I love you, pillow. <laughs> How's that, Ken? I knew I knew it would it's like is that Memorex or is it, right. We don't think about our pillow until we would have to sleep on a stone pillow. We enjoy our pillow. We have a pillow and it, and I've learned this that most people as we especially as we get older, we become really attached to our pillow, right? My wife for a long time had a goose down was it a goose down chicken 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 feather pillow. And I don't know if you ever had a chicken feather pillow. You know what the problem with a chicken feather pillow is? She says it's goose. It always is losing feathers. So in our bed is this pillow that she loves and feathers all over the place. She didn't want to get rid of it because it's her favorite pillow. Two pillowcases. We threw it away, I think. I might have won. <laughs> Jacob is sleeping in the elements with a stone. Oh, here's the picture of me and my pillow can. I forgot to show you. I knew you'd like that. It looks It looks just like me, doesn't it? <laughs> in this pro- <laughs> I have that sweater at home though. <laughs> In the process of running, Jacob finds this stone that at first is nothing special. Did you notice that? When he laid down to go to sleep, that, that stone meant nothing other than I need something to prop my head up, to give me a crink in my neck by morning. I don't have anything else in, in, my, in my mind. It was a symbol of being stuck outside uh, in the very worst conditions In case of his life, running for his life. And not with his family where he would have had a nice soft pillow. And I don't know if you noticed that what it was at night when he went to bed was not what it was the next morning. The stone didn't change, but rather Jacob's understanding changed. And Jacob began to learn more about God. See, Jacob realized in this situation that God's love was bigger than his mistakes. It was in the midst of his running You know, and I know, that when we sin and we let God down, the first thing we do is hide our head. We do exactly what Adam and Eve did, right? We turn away from God. We're like, I'm embarrassed. I am ashamed of myself. How ridiculous am I? I'm going to get as far away from God as I can. Now, maybe you guys don't do that. That's what I do, right? I'm like, you idiot, what is wrong with you? How could God forgive you for being so stupid? You've done this one over and over and over. Can't you bite your tongue? Can't you keep your mouth shut? Can't you keep your attitude in check? Yeah, I know, I'm the only one that's probably been there it's in that very moment of Jacob's life, running for his life, that he recognizes that God's love is bigger than that mistake. If you don't hear another thing this morning, hear that God's love is bigger than your mistakes. See, I know. I know, just like you know, that every one of us, has stories. Every one of us has skeletons in our closet, things we don't want people to know. That even though we've been Christians forever and been following God and we bring our Bible to church every Sunday, every one of us has stories that we're not proud of. That if someone, if you guys knew what I did as a teenager... wouldn't like me near as much. Yeah, I get to stand up in front of you guys and tell you that. I'd tell you the stories, but they're ridiculous. I'm embarrassed to this day. And you have those stories too. The problem is some of us, our stories are uh, right out where people can see them. Fortunately for me, most of you guys, none of you guys knew me at 16, (laughs) right? So all those stories... The closest we get to that is when my wife meets someone where she works who grew up with me in high school. And she says, oh yeah, he's the pastor. And they're like, (laughs) really? (laughs) Let us tell you some stories. We all have those stories in our life. No different than Jacob. Jacob made some awful choices. And it's easy to point our finger at Jacob and say, what is wrong with you? Why would you trick your parent, your father? Why would you let your mother influence the situation? Now your brother hates you. Why? 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 In the midst of this, God comes to Jacob in verse 14. In the midst of this, God comes to Jacob and he says, Your descendants. Shall be as the dust of the earth. You know what that means? There's going to be so many descendants of Jacob that it's going to, as if you could like count the dust. That's how many uh, people were going to come out of Jacob's tribe, out of his people. And you will spread out from the to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And I'm going to bless you. You know how embarrassing it is to out and out do something as ridiculous as Jacob would do and then have God say, I still love you. It's probably only reflected, probably reflected best in parenthood, right? It's it's reflected best in parenthood when our young kids do things that we know are wrong and they know are wrong and we can still find a way to love them. I love this picture. I love this picture. Because you can't tell real well, I cut off a little bit of the TV, the TV is painted white as well. I promise you these children grew up to be adults. Now, On the surface, if we walked into this, (laughs) we might challenge that idea, right? And yet, this is how God sees us sometimes. Is it not? It's how he saw Jacob in this moment. Jacob, you have made an absolute mess. And now I'm going to have to clean up after you. I'm going to have to take care of the problems you've made I have to figure out how to get the paint off your face and your legs and the TV. And I love you. What's that? Yeah. It's easy to laugh at other people's issues, huh? But I don't think our mistakes look any better or worse than this. And whether it's a mistake of painting everything that shouldn't be painted or breaking covenant or uh, whatever it is, we all have sinned. And so it's easy to see this one over seeing the things that are in the closet, the things that we haven't told anybody about or that are so far removed from us at this moment that we don't even... God says in the middle of all this, hey, Jacob... You got this really cool elevator. In your vision, you're going to see this elevator. I'm still connected with you. At this very moment when Jacob is feeling so far removed from God, God shows up. It's like there's this ladder. I got this ladder, and I want you to understand that I'm at the top and I'm standing there looking at you, but we can connect. We have a way. We have a way to be together in spite of who you are and what you've done. He says, quit going the wrong way. Right? Quit doing the wrong thing. You know better. You know better. Get your stuff in order. Sort out your life. And this ladder is a connection. That you and I, Jacob, God says, we can still be connected and we can still be together and do life together. The ladder isn't missing all the rungs. The elevator still goes. At this very moment in Jacob's life, God is still there and available. Picture looks like an escalator, does it not? One time I made this great decision, and I was at uh, Kennywood. Kennywood has escalators that go up and escalators that go down. Get you out of the parking lot. And I had this genius plan. I I bet myself that I could make it to the top of the escalator that was going down. And I did. I also got escalator marks in my knee, which if you'd like to see sometime, I can show you. Because when I got to the top, I tripped <laughs> on the second to the last one. Of course, it's still going down, and I'm trying to go up. And I got the teeth marks from an escalator buried in my knee. Do you Remember that? <laughs> and I bled all over the place at Kennywood for a whole day. <laughs> I was trying to go the wrong, the wrong way. God's love seeks connection. He seeks to be connected with us. It says in verse 13, it says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. God wants to be connected with each of us. When we're running, he still wants to be connected with each of us. So these are the coolest thing that ever happened to me. Um, you may not even know what they are. They're, they're uh, quick disconnects for a garden hose. And I have this neat little piece of equipment that I use in my basement once in a while, and it runs off of uh, water. And I was using it about a month ago with my old garden hose and my old connects, and I was cleaning up more water on the floor than I was using it. And it was ridiculous Well, I ordered these. Really cool connects. And I was like, well, you know, for 13 bucks, you get a couple. I'm not sure it's even going to work. And so I took the time to put it on there. And I'm like, you know, quick disconnect. You know what that is, right? He's like, ching, ching, snap, and so on. And I ran this apparatus, which happens to be a sausage stuffer. I ran this apparatus last week. Clicked my disconnects in, turned the hoses on, did all of what we needed to do, turned it off, unplugged it. And you know what? There was no mess. None, not even a drip. Yeah. And it reminded me of how God wants to be connected to us. These nice new connections, nice tight fittings, stuck together, worked really well. The old one, not so much. It leaked all over the place. It made a mess. God wants to be connected with you in that way. So I got to tell you these pictures. My granddaughter's going to be two tomorrow. And so the picture on the left is from last week when she was home from daycare because Texas is shut down. And she doesn't watch much TV. And it's a little hard to tell what she's doing. But on the left picture, she's watching TV on a screen which she doesn't get to watch very often. And I don't know if you can tell, but she's about 12 inches from the screen. Because she wants to be connected and she doesn't want anyone to be inter- interrupt whatever show she's watching. I don't even know what she's watching. And we got these pictures and my son used to do the exact same thing. And the joke was, oh look, she looks just like Dan doing the, watching the TV. The, left, the right picture is just, a, just an update because I just got that one too a couple weeks ago. But she didn't put any, there's nothing in the way of her being connected. And way too often we put so many things in the way of our connection with God. We allow the busyness of life to get in the way so much so that we make poor decisions because we're not connected to God. And then we have to stand back and say, oh, that was dumb. And God's like, yeah, I know. Come closer. Come hang out with me. Spend some time. Be connected. Finally, he desires his love creates a union. Or, not a union, I'm sorry, a foundation. The union was the old word. I changed the word this morning. When Jacob wakes up, the stone that he slept his head on was just a stone when he went to bed. When he woke up, it had a whole lot more meaning, did it not? It had a whole lot more meaning because he recognized that God was in this place, he says. God is in this place, and I want to use this rock that was just a pillow for my head as a monument, as an altar, as a foundation, as something to remind me of this place. Because something very powerful happened in that spot. And he makes a covenant with God at that time. God, if you'll be with me on this journey and take care of the food and clothes. And if I can return safely without getting killed to my house, then you will be my God. And I have set this stone as a pillar of God's house. And all that you give me, will, I will give you a tenth. Jacob sets this stone up. He says, here it is. He pours oil on it. I won't soon forget the spot I'm at. There's the foundation for my life and in this spot for Jacob. He recognizes God is in this place. And he says, God, you are here. And now what was just a stone is now a foundation, an altar, a place to come and remember your faithfulness. That is my hope with the stones that you pick up here. Or a stone you pick up in your own yard and and lay at the cross. I, I don't care where you find a stone. There's plenty of stones. But I encourage you to begin to think about and look for something that reminds you of God, that connects you with God. I... This is a, uh, oh man, I hate when I blank. Um, what do they call that when you're going to tell the end of the story before the end of the story? Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Thanks, Kenny. That's what happens when you get to 50. You just all of a sudden can't, you know what you want to say, but you can't remember. Spoiler alert. Nope, that isn't it. This is the one. Spoiler alert. This is where we're headed to Easter. Remember that stone? That's where we're headed towards in Easter, that stone that was rolled away. That stone makes a huge, the biggest difference in our lives. That stone is the difference in our eternity. That stone is what allows us to connect with God. Because that's where Jesus came out of. He walked in a real bodily sense out of the grave. The stone was rolled away, the scripture says. And he walked on this earth. He came back to life. That's the difference that it makes in our life. And he wants a connection with each of us. He wants to build those connections and to grow a connection and a relationship with us. The problem is what happens if we don't step out? We never make that connection. Or if we only put out one little finger and then we pull it back. Or if we're a flash in the pan, you know, really excited, but we never dig in deep. If we want to connect with God, we got to take the time, the effort, and make it work. We have to work at it. I want to share with you real quick, whoops, I went the wrong way, about a really cool ministry that I discovered in January uh, for the guys in this uh, church to begin to make some connections. Uh, this, this ministry is called uh, Iron Man Outdoors, and it's a ministry of... of uh, hunting, fishing, outdoors, retreats, like three-day weekends. And I went there pretty apprehensive because uh, as a churchy person, I don't always love to go to churchy things, if that makes some sense. Sometimes they feel real churchy. And I really wanted to just get away and to experience a chance to refresh with God. Slash they let me hunt, <laughs> right? Right? They put me in a tree, and I got to enjoy a couple of days of quiet, reflecting on where God was. And when I went to this, I was really apprehensive because I didn't know a soul. And so I'm not a big fan of going to places where I, I don't know people, and uh, I'm not as outgoing as you might think. Uh, I'd rather not uh, meet new people in that way. I'm always kind of anxious about that. And so I get there, and I'm like, I'm really apprehensive because I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna to have to meet 10 other people. I don't know, and they might be annoying. You know how that works, right? I know no one else has that problem. Just me, I'm thinking. And I went there and I had this genuinely great time with a bunch of like-minded people who are in the exact very similar spot. They're seeking out God, trying to figure out where God is in their life, and trying, they're all in different spots in their life, right? They're all well, no, no one else was a pastor, so that was the other problem. Like I have to go there and pretend like I'm a pastor. Ugh! right? I didn't even want anybody to know I had the pastor moniker on my thing, but somehow they found out. I got there, and the best thing that happened was I just sat down and just started to hang out with men of like minds. And they weren't all Baptist, and they weren't all Methodist and they weren't all Catholic. They were all over the place. And they weren't all pastors. Some of them were having some struggles. Some of them were in a good spot in their life. Some of them were having marital problems. I quickly found out that it was just a regular bunch of guys struggling to walk the faith. Some in better places, some uh, with some more raw things going on, some with some real tragedy in their life. Just regular guys. Nothing And I learned really quickly this. Guys, I'm speaking to the guys real quick here. Guys, we crave chances to be together and to communicate. If you don't believe me, I challenge you to figure out and show me after the church why that's not true, because I found out very quickly. They did one thing in this, this program, then that I, I really appreciated every night we had it's called a manhood discussion and I was like oh a manhood discussion that's manly and this was the question the first night what was the best thing your father did for you what was the worst thing your father did for you it's not one it was all one it was all one piece and let me tell you how it went Literally, within five minutes of that question being asked, there were men sobbing in that group. I quickly found out that the guy behind me never knew his dad, never had a father figure in his life. One guy, he had a father figure, he was drunk. Another guy, his father beat his mom, his wife, his mom. There were some good ones. Our father was there to to walk us through all those steps in life. One guy, poor sap, he brought his dad to the retreat. (laughs) So that's challenging, right? (laughs) but I learned something extremely valuable in that, that one long, one weekend. Men, we crave communication. Godly men need that communication and that connection. Women as well. But guys, we're not nearly as good at it as, as the ladies are. And I also learned that if we're going to continue to grow as a church and as a faith, that we need to foster some of those things. We need to find ways, men, to build those bridges, to create a foundation, to find a place that's not manly, but rather to find a place where we can build connection. Because guys, we are starved for that. We sit in our head with our emotions like this close. And when the second guy talked and literally within a, and he had been to other retreats, he was actually one of the helpers, not one of the guys who was coming for the weekend. And he said, I knew this question was going to be asked. And he's just, the tears are just flowing as he doesn't even get out the situation that he never met his father God wants us to create a foundation with Him and with others. Why? Because it becomes an issue of our eternity. We need to grow and to stretch and to encourage and to exhort and to challenge each other in the faith. Our walk of faith is more than a get out of hell free card. You can get that when you're six because you don't fully understand the commitment you're making. But if that's the faith you have, if your faith is still when you were six, there's a problem. It needs to grow, it needs to be stretched. And sitting in a pew for an hour a week will not solve that. We have to step out. We have to step up. Men, our families are dying because we are not leading them. Mostly because we don't even know what, probably what it looks like. If the stone you pick out of that bucket or the stone you pick up in your yard or the stone that you lay at that altar... I don't need to know what it is. I would encourage you to take a black magic marker and write on there for your own sake. Cement that stone in your life. That thing that God, see, I know how this works. God's already put it on your heart. I've been on the other side of this. God's already put on your heart what needs to change in your life. I don't know what it is but I guarantee he's already put it on your heart. And if you're brave enough, you'll speak it. You'll share it with someone. Why? Because then there's accountability. If you're brave enough, you'll put it on the stone to remind yourself to not forget tomorrow that you need to pray and work on this issue, this struggle Or you can walk out in a couple minutes, clean off your car, start it up and go home and forget that we've ever talked about it. But mind you, I'll be back next week. I'll be back next week. I don't care if you take a whole handful of stones. I got more. It's more where that came from. I know a guy. fact of the matter is these stones in our life get in the way. A lot of times these stones are what we throw at others when we're hurting ourselves. The stones in our lives are the things we need to change. Let's pray. Lord, we quiet our hearts this morning and come to You. Lord, we look for the opportunity to lay our burdens at Your feet. Can't help but think, Lord, that You give us this opportunity every Sunday to come to the altar, to lay down our struggles and our trials and our problems and the things that we need to give to You. We talk about it. We think about it, but oh, how scary it would be to actually do it. How scary would it be to lay my burden at this altar, cementing in my mind that I'm going to give it to you. So difficult. And yet you have called us to step out in faith. And we're good at taking the good parts of it. We're good at the get out of hell free, the eternity. We're good at that part. Not so good at sharing the struggles we got. Not so good at being honest about where we're at in life. Not so good about making the changes that you have called us to. Not so good at loving our enemies. And yet, you have called us to love our enemies. Long before we searched for you, you searched for us. While we were yet your enemy, you loved us. Just like Jacob on the run, and you still called out to him. Lord, we love you so.